Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. As we continue with this commissioning service, Terry is going to come and just give a word of testimony about God's call to him and Peggy uh, to serve as missionaries with Wycliffe uh, International. Thank you, Pastor. Well, <laughs> long, long road. Praise God. Fifteen years ago, Peggy said, back there. <laughs> at a missions conference here, I believe. And there was a call to see who might feel called to go into mission. And she stood up and said, her favorite story, I want to go, but my husband's not even saved. <laughs> well, praise God, two years later, 1992, thanks to the prayers of many of you in this room, and many who aren't here, unfortunately, who have gone on to other places, who prayed for me and for Peggy and for Leanne and Laura. I did come to know the Lord. He did reach out and seize me and say, pay attention. <laughs> and then one year later, we were sitting out there together at another missions conference. And A.T. said, who out there feels called to go? And Peggy, tears, and me, tears, we'll go. And here we are, and he's sending us. All the glory to God. And thanks to God, and to you who prayed, and to you who have stood by us when we doubted, uh, kept us lifted up, who stood by us both in spirit and in material finances to bring us to this point and who are committed in prayer and material support to proceed. Without you, without you being obedient, responsive, loving and caring, abounding in the Holy Spirit, as God has led you, we'd be sitting out there today. As it is, we're going. Thank God. I would like you to open your Bibles and look at a couple of verses with me. Jeremiah 29:11. These are two verses that have, I think A.T. gave me both of these verses, actually, at different points during our path to this day. Jeremiah 29:11. Now, do me a favor. Look up here at me for a second. Okay? Now, look down at that verse, Jeremiah 29:11. And as you look down, I want you to notice something that you probably take for granted every time you look at the Bible. It's in a language you can read. Look down at Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. 
that speaks to my heart now as it did originally 10 years ago when we prayed and were assured he had a plan for us. And here it is coming to the next step. If the next step takes as long as this one, we have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) But notice that that word is in your language, the language of your heart. There are 380 million people around the world speaking over 2,600 languages. Praise God those numbers are down from a year ago significantly. But pray to God that those 380 million people will be able one day soon, by the year 2025, we hope, to look down at their own word in their own language and read this verse for themselves in their heart language as we can. The other verse is in Philippians, um, chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. If any of you have any doubt about that, just look at us. Here we stand perfected in him. Here we are stepping out perfected in him. Nothing of ourselves, all to the glory of God. For he is the finisher of this work. And we do give him the glory. I would like to close in a word of prayer and thank you for standing by us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you as Lord of the harvest. We give you praise, honor, glory, and worship. We kneel and and bow humbly before you, thanking you, Lord, for the body of Christ in this church, for the work that you've continued to do throughout the 25 years of the history of this church, Lord, to send your workers into the field, to send your laborers into the harvest. Many have gone. Many more will go. We are confident, Lord. And we give you all the glory, all the thanks, all the praise, and all the worship of what you've done. And ask only, Lord, that you continue to do it, and even and ever more so. We personally thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ here at Westside, who have stood by us, kept us lifted up in prayer, kept us lifted up in continuing words of encouragement, always confident that this day would come. Be magnified in our lives, Lord, as we begin this work, continue this work. Be magnified and glorified ongoing as you have been and will continue to be in the body of Christ here at Westside. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done and all you will continue to do. And it's in the holy and precious and strong name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. We will have a charge to the Rankins in a moment uh, by Virgil Pittman, who is with Wycliffe and stationed over in Stone Mountain. Uh, Virgil is the personnel and member care coordinator uh, for this area, and he will give the charge to the Rankins. And after that, I will give a charge to you, the church. And then Rick Hyden, one of our own, who is with Wycliffe, will come and give the commissioning prayer. This time, uh, Reverend Virgil Pittman will come and charge the rankings. Thank you, Pastor Stewart and congregation, for the privilege of worshiping with you this morning, sharing the word, and especially for the privilege of being involved in this very, very special service. 
in which we will commission two very special people to a very special assignment. On behalf of Wycliffe and the Kingdom of God, we want to say to Pastor Stewart and to this congregation, thank you for your contribution. I told your pastor just a while ago that uh, when I heard about this service and was invited to be a part of it, I was impressed. But when I heard that this church has three Wycliffe members and all three are assigned to a home service field, and let me tell you, it's harder to raise funds if you are a missionary serving in a place like Orlando or Atlanta. It's a lot harder to raise funds for that than it is if you're going to the Pacific Islands or to Africa or to South America. To be a church that sees the whole global focus is a tremendous thing. And Pastor, you and this congregation are to be commended for the courage to say we will stand with God's called people wherever they serve in this wide world, even if it's Orlando or if it's a home assigned position, it is not less important than serving over there somewhere, wherever that overseas service may be. This morning, I would like to read a couple of different verses, but the one that uh, I want you to turn with me to right now is in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is one of the most brilliant pieces of literature ever written. Students in law school study the book of Romans, at least some, because of the argument that Paul sets forth for justification by faith and the way he lays the plan out. But I have chosen the last chapter of the book this morning, the 16th chapter, and it reads quite differently from the rest of the book. Paul is very theological through most of the book of Romans, but he comes down to the end of the book and he gets very personal and he starts addressing and speaking to the people of that church in Rome. And he calls them by name and he lists a number of names there. And with most of them, there's a real short phrase. And that type of phrase in the scripture, what's my appetite? I've always admired Paul Harvey. Now, you know the rest of the story. When I get to heaven, I want to meet Peter, James, and John, and Abraham, Isaac, and Isaiah, and the greats. But I want to meet the people that Paul spoke of in chapter 16 of the book of Romans. And I'm looking forward to meeting some of those in the Bible of whom we only hear their name. I want to meet them and get acquainted with them and find out more of their story. I want you to, well, at your leisure sometime, read through chapter 16 and just kind of say, I wonder 
who that person really was. I wonder what all they might have done and been. But uh, look at verse 10. Romans chapter 16, verse 10. Paul says, Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. What else about Apelles I do not know. I know only one thing. They were tested and approved in Christ. Terry and Peggy, you've been tested and approved. You've had a few detours and a few delays along the way. <laughs> but you've proven faithful, tested, and approved. <coughs> By the way, there might be another bump in the road along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Diane and I have served in Bolivia, South America for 11 years. We've served with Wycliffe now for 11 years. We've been a pastor in Indiana. We pastored in California. By the way, California, I call the cereal bowl of the world. The land of fruits, nuts, and flakes. <laughs> and along our way, we've had a few bumps in the roads, a few delays, and a few detours. But each time we pass one of those bumps and detours, we look back and say, thank God for his faithfulness. Thank God that even though that came, it was God. God had a design and that design gave us a part of being in the plan. Well, the thought I'd like to leave with you this morning is probably one of the most unusual thoughts you've ever been challenged with, God's also rans. Those common folk in the scripture, the unknown soldiers, the unsung heroes, the people who faithfully take a position behind the lines somewhere and nobody ever knows their story because they never make the front page of Christianity today. They're never interviewed on Christian television. And the world may never hear their name. But I tell you what, their names rank in God's book among the greatest names that have ever carried the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or proclaimed God's word. Hear me. I'm not advocating that we be mediocre, but what I'm advocating is that we represent excellence in quantity. That every one of us find our place in God's kingdom, and every one of us serve with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our lives in whatever position, whatever place God gives us whether the world ever knows our name or not. I want to leave you with two examples from the Bible. And one of them you'll find in the book of Nehemiah. 
Now, Nehemiah is the man who was challenged of God to go back and build those walls around Jerusalem. And the walls had 12 gates and 12 individuals were assigned the, re- the repairing of each one of those gates. Now, one of those gates was called the Fountain Gate. You know, that would be a wonderful place to work. Restoring that fountain. Now, I'm sure it might not have been the most elaborate fountain in the world, but it was a fountain that bubbled forth with life. And a marvelous place to work. And then over here was a a gate called the Valley Gate. Oh, I've seen some of the beautiful valleys of the world. I noticed the picture in your office. The Good Shepherd leading the flock through the valley. I can imagine working on that valley gate must have been a, a wonderful thing. Looking out over the beautiful valley, the river, the mountains. What a marvelous place. But there's a man named Malchijah who worked on that gate between the fountain gate and the valley gate. And he worked on what they called the dung gate. <laughs> he was not smelling roses, brother. My father passed away just recently, and on the day of his funeral, we had a plumbing problem at Mom's house. Isn't it interesting how toilets always back up at the wrong time when the house is full of people and it's the day of your dad's funeral? We called a plumber. He arrived at the house. Before his feet landed, he was handing me a track and witnessing for Jesus. Everybody that came out of the house that day got a track and a witness for the Lord. And this man was an angel sent from God because in the day of Dad's funeral, he had us in stitches, laughing with the most generous warmth, the gift of encouragement. And I'll never forget, he looked up at me and he said, Preacher, do you know the difference between a painter and a plumber? And I said, no, I guess I don't. He said, well, a painter smells like paint. (laughs) And he paused. (laughs) Now, a question that I want to ask Mel Kaija. Was he appointed to that position? Did somebody say, this is where you're going to work? Or did Malachi just say, nobody else wants to go there. That's where I want to go. And I know of people who will serve the Lord if they can get their name in the spotlight. If they can have a place of honor where the world sees them, they're ready to volunteer. But a lot of people don't volunteer for the places where they don't smell roses. And where the work is kind of boring. And where the glory isn't seen like it is in some parts. I learned a a great lesson in life one time from my daughter. She was about six years old and we were returning from service in Bolivia, South America. We bought a car in Miami, drove all the way to Indiana where we lived at the time. We didn't have good ice cream pasture in Bolivia. 
That little car we bought in Miami stopped every time we saw Baskin Robbins. Every time there was Baskin If we had just had dinner and were stuffed to the gills, we saw Baskin Robbins, we just pulled in. We have two sons and a daughter. Our daughter's the youngest. We'd go into that Baskin Robbins. Here we are, fresh out of South America. No ice cream there. Diane and I and our two boys wandered from one end to the other. Decisions, trying to decide which two colors to put on a double dipper. Our little girl would always go and stand quietly there by hers and, and wait for the rest of us to get done with the running around. And then I'd walk over to her and I'd say, Faith, what do you want? She'd say, just the white one, Daddy. Just vanilla. You know, I tried to convince her that Rocky Road was the best or that she ought to try at least the strawberry or one of those other flavors. But always, Daddy, I just want the white one. One day God spoke to me. And he said, Virgil, stop trying to be a banana split on a hot fudge Sunday. Stop, try, stop trying to be something you're not. Just be the plain vanilla I've called you to be. And when a little dash of color and a little dash of flavor is necessary, I'll put it in there if you'll be the plain vanilla. You can't have anything unless you've got plain vanilla. So you be what God called you to be. Be faithful. Let God add all of his blessing. And now, Terry and Peggy, I want to challenge you personally. On behalf of Wycliffe, <clears throat> and on behalf of the Lord of the Harvest, I challenge you to lead the way in humble service. I charge you to fulfill your call wherever God may lead you. I urge you not to seek to be seen, but to serve faithfully. I challenge you in the spirit of Shamgar and Malachinja. Shamgar was another unnamed, unknown almost. To seek your rank among the multitude of faithful servants who may never be noticed in this life. But know, however, you will be counted among an honorable multitude who will be well noticed and duly rewarded by the faithful, loving God who called you. Like a palace, may you too be tested and approved. Thanks for that charge, Virgil. Now that we have seen the charge to the Rankins, what is our responsibility as a church to Terry and to Peggy? For the answer, we need to turn to Paul's letter to the church in Philippi at Philippians chapter 4. Take your Bibles and make your way over to the fourth chapter of Philippians. Paul is writing this letter while he is under house arrest in Rome. Now, this is not the Roman imprisonment that we have seen in our study of 2 Timothy. That came later. This is a Roman imprisonment that you find recorded in Acts chapter 28. It was more of a house arrest. 
Uh, people could come and visit Paul. He was free to proclaim the gospel there from the quarters where he resided. He was awaiting to remember the appeal that he had made to Caesar. And he was released probably two years after this letter was written. But Paul had met this church ten years earlier on his second missionary journey. Around 51 A.D., Paul was asleep one night and he had a vision. He heard a voice, a man saying, come over here to Macedonia and proclaim the gospel. So Paul, in obedience to that vision... The Macedonian call left and went, and the first place that he preached was Philippi. It was there that Lydia, uh, that maker of purple fabrics, was saved. It was also there that Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. And you remember they were beaten severely. And yet they praised God in the middle of the night an earthquake came, and the doors of the prison were jarred. And that jailer, frightened for his life, uh, came to know Christ. As he approached Paul and Silas and said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved. And not only was he saved, but his family was saved as well. Paul visited this church a couple of more times on his subsequent missionary journeys. And so he had a relationship with them, a deep loving relationship. And now he's writing them a thank you letter to thank them for their support. And what they've done for him. And I think this letter helps us to see our responsibility to Terry and to Peggy. As Paul talked about the Philippian church and what they've meant to him. Beginning in verse 10 of chapter 4. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. That now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned before. But you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full, and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The central truth of this passage is that we are to keep Terry and Peggy in our thoughts. We are not to forget them. We find this in Paul's words 
in chapter 10, where he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. The Greek word there for concern means to ponder. It means to let one's mind dwell on. To keep thinking about. To fix one's attention on. Paul said to the church at Philippi, I'm glad that you're once again thinking about me. That I'm on your minds again. That you've revived that concern for me. The old adage, out of sight, out of mind, is not to be true of our missionaries that we support. We are to keep them on our minds constantly. We are to remember them and think about them and consider them. Missionaries realize how important that is, and that's why they make those prayer cards that have their pictures. And in my study at home, I have the side of my filing cabinet just filled with pictures of missionaries so that they're continually before me, that I will not forget them. And Rick and Gail's pictures there, and Terry and Peggy's pictures there, and Terry and Peggy have prayer cards that they'll make available to you. Rick and Gail do as well. Because they want you to keep them on your minds. We have a responsibility to keep them on our minds. To have concern for them as we think about them. Now how should that concern express itself? We have them on our minds. We're thinking about them. We're concerned about them. Now how should it express itself? Number one. It should express itself in our prayers for them. We should pray for them regularly. Paul, talking to the church at Colossae, said to them, Devote yourselves to prayer. Keep an alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Pray at the same time for us as well. That God will open up to us a door for the Word. So that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned. Paul says, pray for us, as spiritual as Paul was. As closely as he walked with Jesus, he knew he needed prayer. Our missionaries need our prayers. We have a responsibility to pray for our missionaries. To pray for Terry and Peggy. Their journey is just beginning. It's not ending. And the bumps that they've experienced so far are nothing compared to the bumps they're going to experience in the future as full-time missionaries. And so they need our prayers. We need to pray for their marriage. Satan would like nothing better than to destroy their marriage. Because if he can destroy their marriage, he can destroy their ministry. He knows that. He goes for the juggler. He wants to destroy them. We need to pray for their marriage. We need to pray for their spiritual protection. Because he again will seek to harass and torment them. We need to pray for their family life. For their relationship with each other and for Leanne and their, her relationship to them and, and for the move and all that involved. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for their walk with Jesus. That they'll keep a vibrant, continual walk with Jesus and learn to abide in the vine. We need to pray for their work at Wycliffe and what they'll be doing. And other things that God brings to your heart. 
So the first way that our concern should express itself is in our prayers for them. The second way our concern should express itself, and this is the way Paul primarily has in mind in our passage today, is our concern for them should express itself in our financial support of them. Now, Paul tells us five things about the financial support of the church at Philippi for him. And all, they all apply as well to our support of the Rankins. Number one, our financial support is to be an ongoing venture. Look in verse 16. Paul says, For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. It was not that the church at Philippi simply gave once and said, Okay, we're through, we gave. But they gave numerous times to Paul's support. Now we as a church have committed to give to the Rankins on a monthly basis. That means that we don't give just once and say that's it. That requires that we give regularly and continually to the world mission offering so that we might support our missionaries. Secondly, our financial support will benefit us in eternity. Verse 17, Paul says, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Paul said, look guys, you know, I'm glad you're giving, but not primarily because I need it or I will benefit from it. He said, I'm more excited about how you are going to benefit from your gift to me. You are going to benefit because when you give to God's kingdom work, you're making a deposit in the bank of heaven. And when you get to heaven, it will be waiting on you there. Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, how do you make a deposit in the bank account of heaven? How do you store treasures in heaven? By giving to God's kingdom work. By giving to missions. There's a way you can make a deposit. And you can be sure God's keeping the book. And He's accurate. You don't need any auditors in heaven, brother. God's keeping it. And He knows exactly how much you have stored up in heaven by your faithful giving to God's kingdom work. And therefore, we benefit. Wouldn't it be awful to get up to heaven and you'd never made any deposits? Well, God pulls out your statement and says, well, let's see here. Ten dollars. I remember that one thing you gave ten dollars. Somebody said the check bounced on top of that. <laughs> Make that deposit in the bank of heaven. But not only that, not only financially, but I'm convinced that the rewards, the rewards that Terry and Peggy and Rick and Gail and all the other missionaries that we support, the rewards that they will get in heaven because of their ministry and their service, those of us that have given to support that ministry will get to share in that reward. Same is true. Anything that God uses me to accomplish in this life. Any reward that I might get in heaven 
If you have given through your prayers and through your financial support to enable me to do that, you're going to get a blessing too. God's going to reward you some of that. So you want to multiply your rewards? Give. Give. To God's kingdom work. Thirdly, our financial support is well-pleasing to God. Verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Now Paul describes that gift. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You mean that he brought a cake? Something that smelled good? Money doesn't smell good, does it? No, he's using the phrase that immediately projects us into the Old Testament sacrificial system. When the sacrifices were given to God, and when they were given as acts of worship, they were described as being a soothing aroma. A fragrant aroma to God. Terry and I walk in our neighborhood. Sometimes we walk around supper time. There's nothing quite like the smell of somebody cooking out steaks. It just, man, smells soothing aroma. Those sacrifices in the Old Testament is they were sacrificing those steaks. Metaphorically, it was a soothing, fragrant aroma to God. An acceptable sacrifice, he says. Well, pleasing to God. Paul uses the same phrase to describe Jesus' death on the cross as a sacrifice. It is a fragrant aroma to God. In Ephesians 5, 2, he says, And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Paul says the sacrifice that Christ gave on the cross was a fragrant aroma to God. You can't die on a cross as a sacrifice, but you can give a sacrifice to God that will be a fragrant aroma, that will be well-pleasing to Him. When you and I give to God's kingdom work, when we support Terry and Peggy and our other missionaries in joy and in faith, it is a sacrifice to God. It's a spiritual sacrifice. The picture here is the Old Testament priest coming to God with the sacrifice as an act of worship. And when you and I give cheerfully and joyfully and faithfully to God's kingdom work, it's offering a spiritual sacrifice to God. That's well-pleasing, he says. Now, you want to please God, don't you? I sure do. You want God to look down and smile on you? Well, one place you can know He's smiling and looking down on you and well-pleased is when you're giving to support His kingdom work and to support missionaries. Acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing. Number four. God will supply what we need so we can financially support them. Verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You say, but... but I've got needs of my own. I've got bills I've got to pay. Now, we quote this verse a lot. 
But most of the time, people don't realize the context of this verse is giving to missions. Giving to Paul. Paul said, God's going to supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As you give to me as a pleasing sacrifice to God, He gives back to you, and then you can give more. That's the way it works. He says, don't worry. If you are giving to God's kingdom work, and you are following principles of biblical money management, you have God's promise that there will never be a need in your life that He will not meet. Giving to God's kingdom work and following biblical principles of money management. Now, you can't give to missions and go out and be a, uh, uh, just waste your money and expect God to meet your needs. No. But if you'll follow biblical principles of money management... And you'll give to missions, you'll never, ever have a need in your life that God will not meet according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, not in His riches and glory, but according to it. How great, how gracious His riches and glory in Christ Jesus are, that is the same grace that He will meet every need that you or I can ever have. Jesus said it this way, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by the standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And that picture is of the robe and the man pulling up his robe and just stuffing down the wheat that he has harvested in the field, that he's gleaned in the field that's been left and just keep pushing it down and pushing it down and putting more in and putting more in until it's running over and you can't stop it. That's God's promise. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, Now he who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. You cannot outgive God. You can't do it. The more you give, the more He multiplies back so that you can give more. Number five. Our financial support to the Rankins and our missionaries glorifies God. Verse 20. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. God is glorified. And that's what we're after. That is the bottom line. The glory of God. We offer a pleasing sacrifice to God as we give to the Rankins support. And then God multiplies back to us so we can give more. And then God is glorified. That's the way it works. It's the circle. We give. God gives. We give more. God's kingdom work continues. And God is glorified. It's summed up in this true story of George and Sarah Clark. In 1880, George and Sarah Clark purchased the lease of the Pacific Beer Garden. Now, they quickly dropped the beer part of the name and put the word mission in the place of it. And they launched a mission to homeless alcoholics and downtrodden men and women. And it became known as the Pacific Garden Mission of Chicago. 
the second oldest rescue mission in the United States. And the Clarks poured everything they had into running this mission. And as the mission continued to grow, their retirement, their funds continued to decrease. And finally it came to the point that the lease payment was due and they did not have the money to pay it. And they were told by the person holding the lease, if it was not paid in 24 hours, they would lose the lease and they would have to close the mission. They had given. They gave. And so they went to the Lord in prayer. And all night they prayed, God, we don't understand why we're not able to have the funds we need to, to continue this work, this kingdom work of yours. But we trust. We trust you. We're not going to question you. We trust you. And we're going to look to you to provide what we need. That morning, when they went out their front door, they were amazed because their yard was covered with white stuff. And they immediately were reminded of the manna of the Old Testament. And they got down and examined the white stuff, and it was mushrooms. But not the kind of mushrooms that you grow see growing around here that are poisonous, but they were the edible Mushrooms. Their front yard was covered with these mushrooms that were of the best quality. And it was unusual, particularly because it was not the season for mushrooms. So they went and gathered all those mushrooms together. Now, this was back in the 1800s, so you know you could do this stuff back then. You didn't have to have all the government regulations. They gathered these mushrooms together, and they went down to the Palmer House, a famed hotel there off of Michigan Street in Chicago, and sold them to the chief shelf. For a good sum of money. Enough to not only pay the lease, but they had money left over to do ministry. We give as a sacrifice to God that's pleasing and acceptable. He multiplies back to us that we might give more. Let's pray. Father, we look to You to deal with us as a church about our responsibility not only to the Rankins, but to all those whom we have commissioned and sent out and we have committed to support. Trust in You to provide all that we need according to Your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask the Rankings if they'll come stand down front. I'm going to ask Rick if he will come at this time and give our commission in prayer. You want them down front? Greetings from Orlando. Before we pray, I just want to uh, give greetings from somebody else. We'll see how long your memories last. Um, A.T. just said, remember those who leave from among you. Have any of you heard of Greg or Minnie Jones? (laughs) Well, we were driving up and Gail and I decided to detour through Gainesville on the way up and we found their house and the moving van had just pulled up and we welcomed them and 
to Florida, and they send their greetings back to you. So uh, Florida isn't that far away, so you can come and uh, greet them. And on the way to uh, on the way past them, you can come see us in the Rankins as well. I want to give you a, a couple uh, thoughts as uh, before I pray. Um, <laughs> we know you do well. Uh, the Lord's laid a couple things on my heart for for the Rankins, and it's the basis of the prayer. And I wanted you to know the basis of of our prayers. And if you want to know the text, then you can pray these things as well. The verse that came to my mind, I was reading through Daniel this week, and uh, there's a man. He's, he's having a vision. And he looks up and he sees this man dressed in linen with a belt of finest gold around his waist. His body was like crystallite, his face like lightning, his eyes flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burning burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of multitude. This is in his vision. And he says to him, to Daniel, who's on the ground trembling by now, as you can imagine, he says, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the, that first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and have come in response to them. Terry, Peggy, don't be afraid. Since that first day you set your mind, your mind, set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself, before your God. Your words were heard and he's sending a response from heaven. This morning in Slater's uh, class they were reading uh, Colossians and um, I wanted to read something out of there for you as well. If I can find it here quickly. Turn the page over from where A.T. just was. One page over. First Colossians. If you're wanting to know how to pray for the Rankins, you can go to this text. And you can pray for the Rankins. Substituting them in. Asking God to fill them with knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Pray this in order that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and they may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might, so that you, so that the Rankins may have great endurance and patience and they may joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We're really excited to have the Rankins joining us down in Orlando in the ministry down there. Terry's greatly needed. His, he is a person in his skills in the IT area, project management, things most of us can't get our arms around. He's going to help us out with. I don't know how many of you know, but I've asked Peggy if she'll consider joining me in our Department of Human Resources. So um, I'm waiting to hear a response for her on that. And you can pray that um, the Lord will direct her in those ways. And I indeed do remember. It wasn't in the back. It was right there. 
1990. And uh, this woman behind me that I didn't know very well was having the same response and reaction that I was. And I turned around and I was talking with her a little bit and she said that very thing. I, I know the Lord wants me to go on a mission someday, but how, how in the world is that going to be possible if my husband isn't even saved? And from that moment on, myself and others set out praying for this guy that we didn't know. And, uh, and here's, here's Terry. And uh, we're not perfect people. Um, in a lot of ways, we're, we're as messed up as y'all are. And, um, and I was just sitting on the bed with my oldest son the other night this week, just reminding him of that, because he's on the threshold of launching off into his college and whatnot and worried about all kinds of different things. And I said, you know, Richard, there's people that the Lord uses everything. He uses all things for the good, even when we mess up. You know, he's thinking at his age that maybe he's messed up and done something that's going to mess up the rest of his life. And certainly there's consequences that follow us the rest of our lives. But I said, you know, you don't have to look far. You look, here I am, right here on your bed with you, Richard. I messed up bad, a lot. And I've continued to mess up in my life. And I said, you've got to see him up close because you're my son. I didn't raise you in every day the right way and everything. And so there's that ongoing bumps in the roads and those struggles. And we need to pray um, in this way. Heavenly Father, here's your servants, Peggy and Terry Rachel. We love them. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for that. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for saving We praise you and thank you for saving Terry. And Lord, when you saved him, you saved him like you saved me. I was really messed up when he was saved. And all of us, I, I hear testimonies of people who are really messed up in your faith. And I hear testimonies of people who have seen it in their life together. And I just reminded my youngest sister, and she reminded me, you know, Rick, you always think I'm so got together. And she goes, you didn't know how messed up I was. We're messed up people down here, Lord, and we need a Savior. There's people that are out here today that are messed up and they need a Savior. Some have already accepted them as his Lord and Savior. Some are sitting out there that have accepted him as his Lord and Savior and they're messed up again. And they haven't humbled themselves before their God. And they haven't said, be the ruler, be the king of my life today. They need to get right, they need to get their heart back right with the Lord. There's somebody sitting out there today that hasn't accepted Jesus. He loves you. He loves you so much that he said it's better than Lord Jesus, here they are, your servants. They slugged through, they got through it, and it wasn't too late. Terry mentioned 15 years. They're right on time. This is the time. You've accomplished what it is you want to accomplish in the last 15 years. In this process, through this process, you want to do so many things, Lord, but it's so often not the things you want to do, but it's how you want to go about it so often. Lord Jesus, I just ask that you bless the language. I pray that you guide them, lead them, oversee them, cause them to continue to gaze into your eyes and to fix their eyes on you. Cause them to 
to continue to bow their knees and humble themselves, to set their minds on you, Lord Jesus, to bow their knees and humble before you, their God. And you will send a response. Lord Jesus, we sell their house. We help them to pack them. All these practical things that are going on right now. There's so many different things that need to happen, that need to be worked out. You all the details. We work them out the perfect time. Help them find a place you want to have for Bring in all the funds that have been promised and planned. All the prayer support. Lord Jesus, we just know that the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Not only them, but their families. Lord, we've seen other missionaries, other church leaders get torn back, pulled down. They're ordinary people too, doing their best to follow you. Lord, we protect them. Lord Jesus Christ, we just ask through the blood that you shed on the cross, through the power of your word, we just ask you to surround them with your protection from any evil or evildoers. There's a lot to be worked out. But Lord Jesus, we now commission you to your service, to this new service. They were already in the service. They are in the service and they're continuing in the service. In your service. For your name and for your glory. So we present them to you. Admission is liquefied the transfer. In Jesus' name. Certificate of Commission. Be it known that Terry and Peggy Rankin have been commissioned and duly set apart as servants of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for missionary service with Wycliffe Bible Translators Incorporated by Westside Baptist Church. We send them out with our deepest love, commending them to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build them up and to give them the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Acts 20, 32. The testimony whereof we have affixed our official signatures the sixth day of March in the year of our Lord, 2005. And I have signed it, and our chairman of the deacons, Luke Solomon, has signed it. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to respond today as the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, perhaps. Uh, you have sent a call to missions in your own life to minister. We want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. Uh, maybe you need to come and give your life to Christ who's never done that. We want to encourage you. This is the day of salvation. Today is acceptable time. Maybe you need to uh, just commit your life to Christ as Lordship. Maybe there's some sin you need to repent of in your life. We want to give you an opportunity to respond as the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. Stand as we sing together.